Hey listeners, Shrill Collective here. Just a heads up that The Rat King contains adult content, including descriptions and instances of stalking and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Resources for these issues can be found in the show notes and at the end of the episode. Please enjoy The Rat King. Welcome, everybody. This is The Rat King. Part 6. There's a storm brewing. Have you ever seen the Garden of Earthly Delights? The Bosch? Not in person. Daphne is referring to the epic triptych masterpiece by Northern Renaissance painter Hieronymus Bosch. It has resided in the Museo del Prado since 1939. For listeners that aren't familiar, the painting is comprised of three distinct panels and, on its face, has a sort of straightforward religious value. The first panel is paradise. The second is the earthly realm, the namesake panel, garden of earthly delights. And the third is hell. I saw it as a kid when my family visited Madrid. I was probably 12. I remember much more clearly than anything else from that trip. I remember the feeling of standing there looking at it, like my, my size. The room's cold light, the smell of the paint, the echoes of people talking, and the clip of their heels on the floors. Why do you think it resonated so much for you? I think it scared me, but in a really tantalizing way. It felt so unreserved. Not just its imagery, which is obviously sexual and violent, but... Also, its message, its critique of humanity. I was at that age where you're hearing and seeing a lot, starting to pay more attention to what adults talk about. The Rodney King beating, the first Iraq war, the AIDS epidemic, global warming. I think I took that painting as a warning shot. Like... It represented a kind of dystopian future, something that could happen if we're not careful. Do you still think that? I don't know. Now I wonder if we're actually already in that scenario, if we've already stepped across the fold. Daphne's not alone. I wonder that too. It's the very thought that keeps me awake some nights. Is it too late for us? Our world? Or are we just being driven into a knotted frenzy by our own invention? Our obsessive circulation of information? Our simultaneous and conflicting quests for connection and dominance? Looking around in the year 2020, it was hard to know. And it's only getting harder. So, I mean, we're basically all caught up to where we started. Basically, yeah. Oh, God. Guys, take the buckets over there. 
Okay. Just a little. You have all of those. I didn't know. Hey. Them. Sorry about that. Mud pies? Just mud. What were we saying? Uh, yeah, so after your mid pandemic road trip, you return to New York in August, and you find you have three new letters from Phoebus and mice in the house. Correct. Kay managed to catch a mouse that night. We caught four by the end of the week, alive, of course, and took them to Prospect Park. It was warm, so it didn't feel cruel. Still, I imagine birds swooping down from the treetops. Sounds like there were gaps, after all. There are always gaps. You just don't always see them. Are you being literal or metaphorical? Both. Both. But yeah, we tracked the droppings to the gas line behind the stove and an uneven base molding in the back of the living room closet. We used a torn-up Brillo pad to stuff the spaces and finished it up by stapling mesh across the top. That sounds thorough. It was. It was. I've watched it done many times. Do you get more letters from Phoebus? Yes. A picture of me in a windstorm kind of whipped up in a twister. Sort of looks like an ice cream cone, and my face is the scoop at the top. Caption says, Hurricane Daphne. It's so weird. He's got this whimsical, cartoony style of drawing. I'm thinking, stalkers and whimsicality aren't a match. But everything about Phoebus is like that, isn't it? Playful and dangerous. Funny and sinister. Childlike and predatory. Isn't that why he's been so elusive? Is that the only letter? Yes, but I got texts and phone calls. That must be worse. It's much worse. It's a bigger boundary issue. It comes into your space in a different way. And there's an intimacy about it. Like, when you get a letter... You don't know when he wrote it exactly or what he's doing while you're reading it. But when your phone rings or you get a text, you know he's somewhere holding his phone, that he's thinking about you that exact second. You keep saying you instead of me. Do I? Well, I guess we all have our protections. Daphne says as the 2020 general election nears, Phoebus starts calling a lot. And his messages are pretty manic, even for him. Daffy, why do you keep bothering me? Can't you see? I, I'm just trying to live my life. <laughs> uh, just playing. Yo. They brainwashed you. I'll save you. Da, 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 here I come to save the day. That means that mighty mouse is on the way. 
tell me about the rats. Right. So this was a big bummer, obviously. They started back in November, basically during election week. I started hearing a scratching sound behind the brick wall in the living room. I, I was watching a crazy amount of MSNBC, kind of spinning. What about Kay? Kay's a sleeper. I just couldn't fall asleep for months and months. It took me hours every night. It's like my brain had an itch. The news probably doesn't help. Oh, no, definitely not. I'd watch until 10.30 or 11, and then I'd read to fall asleep. Anything good? Articles, mostly. I couldn't engage any kind of fiction or fantasy. So after 11, Daphne routinely sits on the couch and reads from a backlog of New Yorkers and Atlantic monthlies, and too often, news articles on her phone. And that's when she can hear the rats scratching. It sounds like they've gotten themselves in between our house and the house to the east, and they just scratch and scratch and scratch. When I knock against the wall, they stop. Then after five or ten minutes, I hear them again. I honestly wonder how long it'll take them to gnaw through the bricks. What's the cause, you think? There's so much construction around us right now. I will say, as a New Yorker, that part of the pandemic has been wild. There are hundreds of shuttered businesses that simply buckle during the shutdown and ensuing months, unable to sustain themselves. Yet, somehow, residential construction was booming. Real estate was and is booming. Two brownstones are being flipped on our block as we speak, and there's this empty lot across the street from us that just shot up five stories in four months. Looks like it's going to be a boutique apartment complex, but it just towers over the houses on either side of it. Plus, there's a massive dumpster parked on the south side of the street for teardown and junk. So I guess it isn't really a surprise the rats are back. No, I guess not. There's general filth, too. The streets weren't swept for six months because of the initial COVID shutdown. They just halted street cleaning altogether. It's resumed now, but they only pass once a week on either side, and sometimes not at all. With all the cones and construction and people not moving their cars, it's a mess. Same on my street. So... I want to ask you, what happened to your deal? You've gone nearly seven years without the rats or Phoebus, and now, wham, it's all happening again. So if the rats are back and Phoebus is back, I mean, is the deal off? Daphne is quiet for a minute. I suppose it's kind of a hard question. I guess the terms have changed. What does that mean, the terms have changed? I mean that, I mean that what might have worked before isn't going to work anymore. The context around the deal has changed. I've changed. And I'm just going to interject. Daphne's whole understanding of the world has changed too. She can no longer be enshrined by a deal that requires her to step away from 
or move past. And, in fact, she no longer seems interested in an arrangement like that. As she said herself, not five months ago, after Phoebus reprised his role as her chief tormentor, all deals are off. All deals. Even ones made in the dank, subterranean tunnels beneath the Brooklyn brownstone at the 80-odd feet of the Rat King himself. There was a period of time when it worked, and that was a very restorative time, and I grew a lot. But now, I mean, this crazy energy we all feel, it's palpable. I'm not saying I like it, but I feel like I need to, I don't know, lean into it. So maybe the rats can feel that too, from all of us. For fuck's sake, they've taken over the city in plain sight. It's interesting to note, there is some evidence that rats use echolocation to navigate their way through mazes. It isn't that hard to believe they're doing that now, navigating the maze of this pandemic, the erratic behavior of their human counterparts. Like I said when we started this adventure, everything has its own echo. A siren, a scream, a whisper, a door closing, a letter being opened, bated breath. And the acoustics are good in New York City. If you're listening, if you're mindful, like a rat. The weeks after the election are sickening and stressful. Even after Biden is declared winner, and that win is decisive. There is a lot of uncertainty. I mean, you all were there. Things feel very iffy. In mid-December, the electors certify their results, often in undisclosed locations to prohibit violent attacks. And around that same week, Phoebus goes dark. He stops calling and texting Daphne completely. As usual, his silence is a relief and a menace, all tied up together. We're in this weird in-between phase, aren't we? COVID numbers are ticking up again around the country, but frontline workers are starting to get vaccinated. We have a new president, but he hasn't been inaugurated. It's true. It's like the whole country is waiting for a giant gender reveal party, but the two options are survival or extinction. Or maybe just a forest fire. Probably, yeah. Oh, yeah, Kay got a baiting station for the backyard. I understand why they insist on doing this. The rats are running across the yard in the daytime now. But something just feels wrong about it. You look at rats differently than you used to. Yeah, I'm not saying they don't disgust me in some primal way, but... Yeah. I guess I understand why they're coming. For the construction? For the frenzy. A great many of us stay put for the holidays that year. And New Year's. Maybe you remember this time, though so much has happened since. We say goodbye to 2020 with a feeling of dread in Hope's clothing. I don't think anyone really believes anything will be better at least not just like that. 
It's January 6th, 2021. Daphne and I watch together in real time as the Capitol riot begins. We don't mean to, it just happens. We are already on a call because Phoebus has just left her a new voicemail. The first in many weeks, and the first of 2021. Hey, yo. We're not in Kansas anymore. These motherfuckers won't let me back on my flight. I don't have enough paper to get another plane. Can you from me? Yo. Send me back. He sounds intoxicated. He was at an airport. When did he call? Yesterday, just before midnight. I was watching the Georgia Senate race returns and fell asleep. I guess he called right after that. Legitimately, Daphne sounds terrified. He's never done anything like this before. Does he say he's in Kansas? He says we're not in Kansas anymore. I mean... What do you think? Did he get on a plane? Is he in New York? How do I even find out? There's a pause. And then she says... Hold on. I want to switch on the news. I think the electoral vote count just started. And then she just starts saying... Oh my god. Oh my god. What's happening? They're swarming it. They're everywhere. Who? Are you seeing this? What? Kay, come in here! At this point, I start streaming the news from my laptop, and I see what you've all now seen many, many times. A surge of rioters overtaking the United States Capitol building. There is no sign of law enforcement anywhere. There is no call to end the swarm. There is really no intervention of any kind for hours. I hear Kay come in the room. What? I was in the shower. Oh, shit. Hey. Hey, Kay? She's kind of bugging. Can can we call you back? I'm kind of bugging, too. Like millions of people fixed to their devices, I go from thinking, look at these shameful assholes, to wondering with real disbelief and dread, we aren't actually witnessing the overthrow of the United States government. I watched the whole day and night, like a weird anthropologist from the future who gets too emotionally invested in her subjects. Every horrific revelation, fascinating and stinging simultaneously. I just keep thinking, this is America. Daphne and I don't talk for the rest of the day. I get one text from her. It says, Capital infestation. We get on the phone the next morning. How are you? I didn't sleep much. Kay took the boys out to the park. It's cold. I needed silence. Just general stress? Daphne pauses here. Through the line, I can feel her calculating. Deciding. Is it something else? I think I saw Phoebus. In New York? No, no, Christ, no. On the news. At the Capitol. It was just this flash of him standing with a bunch of guys just sort of milling around. It was hard to tell. It's 
been so long. Wow. Oh, okay. I've been scrolling through footage all night and haven't been able to find him again. At first, I think Daphne is just exhausted, overtaxed and overtired. But when I think about the world right now, and the United States in particular, it does make me wonder. There is definitely a place in the Capitol crowd for Phoebus. There's certainly a place in that crowd for the Phoebus I've come to know through my conversations with Daphne. Remember that letter Daphne got from him back in August? I'll have a couple probationary dates when I'm out. And OVS, I'm not supposed to leave the state. But it doesn't matter because I wouldn't be coming back. Anyway, shit is so crazy they can't keep track of anyone. Have you heard of the jungle? We could go there, if things go sideways. I know you'll miss your kids, but we can have some. It's for their own good. In hindsight, I definitely get pinged by a couple lines there. Why won't he be coming back? What things? Sideways how? What's for the good of the kids? It's definitely possible. This is not where I thought we were going, but it seems like this is where we're going. Okay, so let's just consider everything we know about Phoebus. At a glance, maybe it's not such a huge leap for him to be tangled up in this whole election fraud movement. Oh, no. I mean, he shares a lot of the prototypical characteristics, right? He lives at home with his parents. He has some impressive time on his hands. Right. He's flexible with facts and doesn't rely on tangible evidence to support his ideas. Mm-hmm. He feels he's been slighted by conventional society. He's white. <laughs> and male. And has clearly demonstrated some obsessive tendencies. Uh, he believes he's misunderstood. Smart, but lacking common sense. Daphne and I spend many hours that day, and the next, and the next, looking over footage from the Capitol. There is so much and more constantly streaming in from a plethora of social media accounts and news outlets. It's hard to watch. It's draining. The Confederate flags and Auschwitz shirts. The yellow-bellied lawmakers that one moment clutch their proverbial pearls and the next downplay the whole debacle. The slow-gaining clarity that mere seconds timing is all that thwarted the mob from achieving the more violent and deadly of its goals. In some clips, they're rifling through lawmakers' desks, looking for some kind of evidence to confirm their delusions. It's appalling and disturbing and fascinating. It's a lot of things. You know what I just thought of? Hmm. Hurricane Daphne. Why? The storm? That woman we just watched. Daphne and I have been on the phone for several hours, ever since her kids went to sleep. It's late. We've just been watching this intense woman, decked out in red, white, and blue beaded necklaces, paired weirdly with a very bland jogging outfit. She was talking a mile a minute. 
This is our time. The storm is here. We're a fucking tornado. I just sent it to you. Yeah. So see? You're in a tornado. Hurricane. Okay, well, he calls it a hurricane, but he's drawn a tornado. The storm is here. Didn't he say that line in that voicemail? The Wizard of Oz thing? We're not in Kansas anymore. I have to admit, that sends a chill up my spine. But as I said, it's very late at night, and our minds are electric from staring at our LCDs. And we're watching the closest thing to a real-life zombie apocalypse that I've ever seen. I'm going back to the bureau page. Yes, I just said that. What is happening to me? Someone help. I open the FBI's gallery of wanted rioters. I'm looking for white men that fall in the 35 to 45 age group. So basically, like, a lot of the rioters. Daphne has one photograph of Phoebus from college that she's provided me for reference. And he's taking a bong rip, so I'm really just going off eyes and nose. That and a sketch Daphne made of him from memory back in 2013. I'm about to give up for the night. And then... Holy shit. What? It's him. Daphne sends me the video. I'm clammy and nervous and don't want to open it. Maybe some of Daphne's trauma has rubbed off on me over these months. I feel nauseous as I click on the link. And there he is. A face to assign to this spectral character. Tapered chin, scoopy nose, thin, nervous lips. He's wearing a blue puffer coat, unzipped to reveal a plain white t-shirt. He's got on brown, wide whale corduroys and skater shoes. He has kind of grayish skin and stringy brown hair cut asymmetrically along his cheek like a 90s television soccer mom. Beady eyes with a sparkle, a gleam. He looks naturally athletic, but maybe a little out of shape. And of course, he's got a Maori-style bone hook necklace and a knitted Rasta-style hat. So yes, a hot mess of references. That's him? I am 100% sure. I guess he made it on the plane. He's on the East Coast. Daphne stops by the next day with a couple of coffees. The day is cold, January still, but sunny. And we sit on the stoop for a while. It's already been a long pandemic winter. And any chance you can get to be next to another body goes a long way. Nice to see you in person. Is this really the first time? Crazy. Stand up, how tall are you? Eh, same as you, more or less. Above average, but not by much. Just like it says on my dating profile. <laughs> Daphne keeps glancing around. Her nerves are pretty frayed. As far as we know, Phoebus hasn't made it to New York. But we really don't know at this moment. Not for sure. He is as close as he's come since that time in L.A. He's the closest he's been to Daphne in almost 20 years. Daphne looks exhausted. What I can see of her, above her mask and below her beanie. That little portion of face we've come to appreciate so desperately during this COVID era. 
She's brought a new letter from Phoebus with her. She pulls it out and smacks it against her leg a few times. So, this just arrived. It's postmarked late December 2020. It's addressed to the Adelphi apartment and rerouted to her current address by the USPS forwarding service that Daphne renews yearly. Is this how all the letters have been addressed? Since he started back up in August, yeah. I didn't realize that. It's weird how he's always a step behind you. I mean, how hard could it be to find your address? Daphne cuts me a sharp, hounded look. I feel bad. Sorry. That's scary. It's okay. I had to formally request my name and address be removed from the White Pages database. I did that way back when I was living at the Adelphi apartment, but there are so many other sites, it's actually impossible to make yourself invisible. She's right. I searched Daphne immediately when we started this journey together. Bam. First hit. Name, age, and her current street address. So it's just baffling. Here Phoebus is, enrolled in the internet phenomenon, fueled by fringe message boards and cryptic subreddit chains, yet unable personally to motivate the internet to reveal something even as simple as Daphne's current address. Another thing about him that doesn't add up. I've searched him, too, a million times. Someone stalks you, you almost have to stalk them back. Notice, now she's saying stalker. It's interesting. I'd asked her before why she hadn't blocked Phoebus's calls, and she said, without hesitation, that's how I take his temperature. She likes to keep tabs on his state. Likes to isn't the right way to say that. She needs to. Since the letters started again, she regularly searches for him online, trying to surmise if he has any new arrests. She looks up versions of his name on Facebook and Instagram. She can't ever really find anything of substance. I can't help but think... These days, she's not just engaging his energy, as our angel guide would say. She's dancing with him. Open it. I'm just curious if you're going to see what I see. She sounds almost gleeful. I remove the letter from the envelope and unfold the characteristic blue-lined page. It's another drawing. A pretty deft one, too. A strange animation of Daphne, like the first. This time... She's in a headdress with horns. She appears to be part deer, part woman, or like a woman in a deer onesie. Big eyes, rouged cheeks, blue eyeshadow. It's really very off-putting. It looks like a costume from one of those animal fetishist parties. And look at this. Oh, weird, you don't have any feet. I have roots. And the antlers are branches? Oh, wait, your hands are turning into branches, too. So you're turning into... A tree. Yes. Look at the sun in the upper right-hand corner. Do you see how it's looking at me? Yeah. I do. It's a classic yellow cartoon sun with eyes and a mouth. It's quick, triangular rays glancing off in shades of orange. I must confess, Phoebus does seem to be something of a talent. 
in a few offhand dashes of what appears to be colored pencil, he's effortlessly captured an expression most women have had the misfortune of seeing on a man's face at some time in their lives. Whether lover, acquaintance, or downright stranger. It's a look that seems to caress you, disrobe you, and slit your throat all at the same time. I'm really wondering how we never connected this before. It seems so obvious now. Do you want to do the honors? Okay. Phoebus is another name for Apollo, god of the sun. And who does Apollo love and relentlessly pursue with such terrible obsession? Daphne. <laughs> when I was a kid, I hated my name. I don't know if I've mentioned that, but I begged my mom to let me change it. Sort of wish I had more follow through. God bless Daphne's sense of humor. We're both about to crack from exhaustion. And it's actually a relief. We really get to nerd out on this one. In the subsequent exchange, Daphne references the Brooks Moore translation of Ovid's Metamorphosis, Book One, published by Cornhill Publishing Company, Boston, 1922. So according to Ovid's telling of the myth, Cupid is offended by Apollo's arrogance and pierces his heart with a golden, love-exciting arrow. But he also pierces Daphne with a leaden, love-repelling arrow. Wait, this is gonna get confusing. Let's call her Daphne One. Okay, all right. So when Apollo lays eyes on Daphne One, a wild, free-minded wood nymph, he falls into a mad obsession. In Ovid's words, filled with wonder, his sick fancy raised delusive hopes. Hmm. That sounds familiar. Doesn't it? It's basically our definition for erotomania. And if I remember correctly, Daphne One was pretty romantically indifferent to men. She wasn't just indifferent. Ovid actually writes, never could her modesty endure the glance of man. She begs her father to allow her to never marry and remain a virgin. Oh, wow. So this sexual attention is painful for her. <laughs> yes, excruciating. And so Daphne One not only doesn't reciprocate Apollo's feelings, but is completely terrified as he pursues her. Look, Ovid clearly identifies Apollo as a predator and Daphne One as prey. Wolf to lamb, eagle to dove. Ovid has Apollo himself describing their dynamic in those terms. So then, there really isn't a whole lot of ambiguity over Apollo's level of self-awareness. He knows he's doing something wrong. Well, he's aware he's the predator. He doesn't seem to be aware that he's doing anything wrong. I mean, all those comparisons are just the order of the natural world. Wolf chases lamb, eagle chases dove. It's the natural order. Yikes. That's an interesting yet troublesome distinction. Yeah. He even goes so far as to implore Daphne One to be careful not to damage her beautiful face and body as she flees through the rough wilderness. He promises, I will follow slowly. Not, I'll stop chasing you. <laughs> Just, I'll chase you more slowly so you don't disfigure yourself. Exactly. Daphne One calls to her father, the river god. She prays to the mother earth to give her cover. And what happens? As she cries out for help, Daphne One instantly begins transforming into a tree, a laurel. Ah, and this is how the laurel becomes the favorite tree of Apollo. Yes. 
And this is the absolute most disturbing part. Apollo still caresses the tree and thinks he can feel her beating heart through the bark. He fondly kisses the wood that shrank from his every kiss. That's horrible. It's so tragic. And I just can't get over how evolved Ovid's take is. I mean, that's written in Omniscient. The wood shrank from his every kiss. It's objective. Right. But check out how it ends. And unto him, the laurel bent her boughs so lately fashioned. And it seemed to him her graceful nod gave answer to his love. And it seemed to him. Ugh, yuck. Exactly. Ovid goes out of his way to make that observation subjective. A little jab at Apollo's delusion. It seems to Apollo that the tree bends its boughs to answer his love. I mean, (laughs) no. That tree is depressed. Yeah, that is one depressed tree. I'm thinking of the famed sculpture of Apollo and Daphne by Baroque master Gian Lorenzo Bernini. The striking work has lived in the Galleria Borghese in Rome since its commission in the first half of the 17th century. We pull up an image. Yeah. Bernini really does capture the horror. Zoom in on Apollo. His expression is so, like... He could really be doing anything. Ordering a latte, walking his dog. I know, and and look at Daphne 1. I mean, that face. It's like the exact moment that she moves from the terror of being stalked and potentially raped to the terror of her transformation. Her hands are already leaves, and the bark is enveloping her torso. There is a branch literally cock-blocking him. I know! Random low branch, coming in quick for the save at crotch level. We look at Phoebus's sketch and an image of the Bernini sculpture side by side. It's definitely there. It's hard to believe this isn't a reference. Only real-life stalker Phoebus feels more comfortable portraying himself in his solar form. When exactly did he start using the nickname Phoebus? Or trying to? I don't know. But was it before or after he met you? I really don't know. Does it even matter at this point? Maybe she's right. Maybe it doesn't matter. Was he a Phoebus looking for a Daphne? Or did he find a Daphne and become a Phoebus? Variables to the specific trajectory of Phoebus's obsession, how bad it got, how fast and when, don't change the point to which Daphne has now arrived. And that point is this. Daphne is being hunted by an arrogant, yet feeble man who has used the impervious weapon of fantasy to recast himself as the god of the sun and to recast her as her namesake, a wild, beguiling girl of the forest. He quoted the Goonies. You know, it's our time down here, and said he wanted to take me on a walk in the forest, which, I don't know, I don't know. I'm normally pretty outdoorsy. Maybe it's me. We can no longer believe Phoebus to be a hapless idiot who doesn't understand appropriate social norms, but rather a very sick individual with a high level of intelligence a sinister indifference to social norms, 
a chip on his shoulder, and an unusual amount of methodical patience, which is maybe, finally, wearing off. He's been curating this character for years, in secret, his shadow. Happy sunrise. Happy sunrise. As I sit with Daphne on the stoop, drinking our basically cold coffee, and all the dynamism of the last year and the last terrible week swirls around us, I feel a little helpless. I'm genuinely alarmed for Daphne. And honestly, I'm alarmed by Daphne, too. It's something about the way she's sitting, hunched in the shoulders, very still. Her energy sort of sharp and electric, ecstatic. It reminds me of something. Like the way an animal freezes when it perceives a threat, trying to hide in plain sight by simply not moving. And how their fear vibrates around them, betraying them completely. Like Daphne's squirrel on Adelphi Street, hunched against the window glass as the rat creeps toward it. And I'm just thinking, move your feet, Daphne. Move your feet. The Rat King is a production of The Shrill Collective. It was written by L.R. Wilde. Directed by Chelsea Feltman and Ash Croce. Audio engineering and sound design by Brando Cress. Production assistance by Christina Cole, Allison Wilkes-Borland, and Linda DeFuria. Cover art by Samantha Farello. Featuring the voices of Stephanie Lavadera, Kelly Grego, Daniel Van Thomas, Fernando Vieira, Karen Levan, Richard Fisher, Dina Laura, Cherie Wishard, Al Pagano, and Rachel Feldman. The music was written, recorded, and arranged by Chelsea Feltman, Brando Cress, and Tim Leonard. Special thanks to Tim Leonard, Wes Borland, Max Zimbert, Monique Morgan, Laura Anister Walters, Maureen and Robert Croce, Rachel Feltman, Tessa Fay, and Tay Birch. If you or someone you know is being stalked, or as a survivor of domestic or sexual abuse, help is available. Go to stalkingawareness.com for victim resources and information. This and other information is linked in the show notes.